position here. Catapults carry into the corner buckle. Fine move by Chris Adams and Gary Hart. Gary Hart giving instructions. Chris Adams trying to take control after Kerry Von Erich has done so well. Kerry turns it around. He's got the sleeper. Another part of Kerry Von Erich's arsenal. And now Kerry goes to the sleep hole. See how Kerry is wrapped up. But Chris managed to break out a distant punch on the side of the head. And Chris may be gone. At the arms out and look, Gary Hart. Gary Hart coming by to pull the leg over the bottom rope. A very quick move by Gary Hart. And now Kerry Von Erich is interested in Gary Hart. Ten minutes gone in this bout as Kerry Von Erich comes back up. Super kick. Gary got his hands up and may have caught it right there. Kerry may have got the blow. Watch out, Gary Hart is on the rampage and hammers. Gary Von Erich. Gary Hart hammering Kerry Von Erich with his boot. There's a super kick. A super kick, Chris Adams, one, two, three, Chris Adams and Gary Hart for the American MMA Championship. Gary Hart interfering, obviously interfering, but the referee blocked out, did not see it. The referee was giving Kerry Von Erich an opportunity, pushing Chris Adams away. And there was the blow by Gary Hart. And Kerry Von Erich has lost the American Championship. And let's go down to Mark Lorenz. In ten and a half minutes, Chris Adams is the new American Heavyweight Champion. That's the decision, and there is a fall on Kerry Von Erich as Gary Hart, who said he would bring fame and fortune to Chris Adams, was an instrumental part, no question about it. The world could see it, except Bronco Lubitsch could not see it, and Kerry Von Erich has lost the American Championship. Probably still wondering how it happened. Certainly, the bull by the boot of Gary Hart gave him great uh, pause there. Well, let's take a break. We'll be back with more on world-class championship wrestling in just a moment. is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. says I just whipped your ass. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! Look at this.
What's going on there, Reflection Knights? What is going on there to the Beatleites, the Hami Knights? I ain't gonna say the other eye because, like I said, I haven't seen anything on the other channel, okay? You know, I'm trying to be fair, I'm being transparent, but you know, if you don't upload shit on your own shit, then why am I gonna say the shit? Because then I don't know what the hell's going on either. Again, it could be a dictatorship. I know, I understand the socialists. They take over channels, so you know what, for, for whatever purposes, it's taking over his channel, okay? But I still got love for him. I got love for Jimmy, but don't worry about it, but I can't say those, those ites. But, I do love that channel, but, you know, the Democratic Socialist people took over his channel, so whatever. It is what it is, but you know what, we're not, we are an independent conglomerate here at the PWR Podcast at Hameen Media Group at Podbean.com. We are independent thinkers. We are independent through and through. You know, we, you know, we take some things from the left, we take some things from the right, and we meet it down the middle to the word common sense. Because you gotta take from one and another and bring it down, because that's called collective bargaining. Word of the day, boys and girls, collective bargaining. You can't get everything on one side. You can't get everything on the other side 100%. It doesn't work like that in the real world. It's called collective bargaining. You got to give a little to get something back. But again, that's for another show, for another time, and another place, and another podcast. But this is the PWR podcast. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection podcast here at the Homie Media Group at Podbeam.com, where I rep. The Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the Naughty Nine, the Terrific Ten, and all the Reflectionites all over the world. And I am the man, the oh-so-stunning one, the oh-so-effervescent one, but the oh-so-glorious one. And I'm still on my knees, not that way, T.W., but I'm still on my knees praying that The Rock and Roman Reigns are going to fight at WrestleMania. So this way, I get what I've been asking for since August of 2022, that Roman Reigns will eclipse Hulk Hogan's reign, and Cody will finish his story at Madison Square Garden in September of 2024. The way the professor, that's my story. Finish my story. I don't care about Cody's story. I care about Dusty's story. It's the professor and Dusty's story. We want MSG. And I want to be there, but that's neither here nor there. But I'm just so, I'm just praying. Rock, the board member, please make it so, so this way I can keep getting that rain closer and I get September 2024 closer. But again, that's a that's for the present. We talk about nostalgia here. But you know me, I'm the professor Chabelle the Cruz, and I'm not here alone. No, 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 no. I am here with my brother from another mother, the conservative liberal, the liberal conservative. I'm, I'm doing idiot's own, the iron stomach one, Dr. Frankenstein himself. Too sexy for anybody to see his eyes because they're so zooted because he's high on weed in Detroit, Michigan. Tommy wonder how you doing, my friend. Oh, that, my daughter just bought me this. What would Jesus do? Because I got baptized yesterday. I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I got a Namaste. question for you, though. Namaste, TW. Namaste. Namaste. When you say, so when you win the Royal Rumble, you get to pick who you fight. And then isn't it usually whoever wins the Elimination Chamber fights the other guy? No. It's, uh, the Elimination Chamber is, uh, very succinct. If it's for the, uni if it's the Universal, uh, title number one contender, that's what they'll say. If it's the uh, World Heavyweight title number one contender, that's what the Elimination Chamber will logistically say. The Royal Rumble winner is supposed to pick the heavyweight champion of whatever brand. Yes, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. 
right. Oh boy. Everybody. Don't tell me something that's gonna make me scared. I already prayed. I got. I got. So I'm so close. I can. I can smell it. I, I, smell I it. think after the backlash from them doing absolutely nothing but having the rock come out, mm-hmm. there's no way they're making Cody wait till September. I think all of this. I even think there's a possibility that Seth isn't even really hurt, and mm-hmm. that the reason they're saying he's hurt is so that Cody takes his time picking who he fights because he has 63 days. Well, had 63 days. Um. So I think they had The Rock come out. Cody still hasn't picked between Seth or Roman. And Cody told him, I'm coming for you, but not at WrestleMania. And right. I, I I believe he said that because Rock is going to beat Roman at Perth at the Elimination Chamber. And then don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't going do that to, to challenge me. The Rock. Don't do that to me. No, 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 no. Don't do that to me. It's not, it doesn't make sense. Make my story. It's my story. TW, you're on my side. It's all about the professor's story. I want Cody to win in MSG where Dusty was uh, robbed in MSG in 19, I think. But that's moving the goalpost because what they're saying, what he said is he just wanted to main event WrestleMania. Check. He's about to main event it a second time. Check. And he wants the WWE World Heavyweight title. Now, if he does fight Seth and he wins that belt, it's going to be tainted. And if The Rock, I mean, if The Rock loses to Roman, fine. But they're making, the, the internet is blowing up making The Rock this huge bad guy, the new Vince. And he muscled his way in. And I'm like, no, here's what I think. I think it was obvious he was winning the Royal Rumble. The best thing that happened was Punk came in and... But the worst thing was he got hurt, right? So Punk mm-hmm. comes in. So I think, oh, shit, maybe Punk's going to win the Royal Rumble. Maybe they're going to take that pool AEW meme and make it Cody at the bottom of the pool and the mom catching Punk as he dives into the pool and Drew is at the, the ass end bottom drowning. But um, but I think they're doing all this so it's not obvious that he's going to win the title at WrestleMania. And they're just dragging it out. And I think it's brilliant. Now, if they don't do that, and it actually is Cody versus Seth, and Roman versus Rock, and I don't know if you said it or if I actually—I think I read it somewhere else that they would unify the titles at SummerSlam. That's stupid. I, I didn't. I didn't then say they that. could never ever bring a secondary title back again if they're going to unify the third belt that they made because the other two are already unified. So I think that's dumb. Um, and it's so been, I, it's I think, been unified in 20 years four times. So it has nothing. I know that like, they created a new belt and didn't split the other one, and it would have been better off just splitting it and then re reunifying it. But th- that's it's 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 backwards. So they got a new belt. You, you see, you, you see your problem here. You're making what? logic. You're making logic. <laughs> I don't care about logic. See, this is this is what Billy Ray doesn't understand. I didn't book Roman Reigns to lose. Until September 2024. I just said he will lose in September 2024. I just gave a venue, and that's what the dream is. What would is. that be? That's- Hulk Hogan's first reign, wasn't it like four and a half years? No, four years. January uh, 84 to February 88. So four years in one month. And September will be four years for Roman? Yeah, four years, and he will beat it. He needs a week. He'll he'll need a week and a half to beat it in September. But again, that's my story. Is there a I'm show booked in New Cody. York in September? No, that's the beauty. You could do Raw, SmackDown. You could do a PLE in MSG for Cody. This is what Dusty wants. Dusty you has said it raw. from the heaven. You can't do Raw. He's Roman. He's on SmackDown. Well, rem- remember, they're gonna the the TV contracts is done. During that time, so whichever show is moving, yeah, SmackDown's moving to USA, so you could still do it on USA. It is? 
Yes. That's I the, didn't know that's that. That's the last one. So you know what? And I know people will be. I know reflection nights. So again, Fox is you, just out. Fox is out. But when the raw thing, uh, whatever that they works. do. Now, this is the way I would do it. That makes a little bit of business sense. This is not about story sense. And and reflection nights will get into our show in just a second. But but TW went with logic, and I'm hearing the logic. I just don't care about the logic. But again, for business purposes, TW, because of the TV contracts. I would do the MSG, everything of, that I said of MSG in October for the TV thing. Make sure that, you know what? If Raw is not going to be on USA anymore, TW, just for hindsight purposes, if they move to, let's say they, they, NBC says, you know what? We'll pick it up, you know, just out of, out of graciousness, out of the business partnership. Could you imagine Cody against Roman on NBC primetime? I'm not saying it's gonna get 30 million like Saturday night's main event, like right. Hogan and but I'm just saying, but at least that's something for people to tune on Raw on prime time or for SmackDown's uh debut coming back to USA Network, Cody versus Roman, MSG right there. It works. Or the PLE that makes everybody happy. It's a win-win-win. The professor wins, Cody wins, Dusty wins. But with that being said, that's the present reflection nights. With the logic that TW brings, which I don't really care, and I, I respect it, but I don't care. It's my story. My story. Hashtag professor story. Finished my goddamn story. But anyway, we're not <laughs> doing the present. We are doing the past. And it, and TW, we're going episodic. Episode 181. So Donnie Day 1, I know sometimes, you know, it'd be funny because Donnie doesn't listen to it every week. He binges it. We know how Donnie does. He'd be like, Professor, you know, when you get to 200, because he knows how the professor operates, he'll binge it. He might miss it, the 200 episode, when we do it and when he binges it. That's the way I'm going to predict it. But I, I'm not a prognosticated Donnie, but I know how you I, I know how you operate. But anyway, we are at episode 181 TW, 19 to go for the elusive 200. It's my favorite number. What? 19. It's my favorite number. Oh. I thought 181 was Who your favorite. Who the fuck's favorite number is three digit? Oh, How do I know? How do I know? I'm just saying. But anyway, we're going episodic. We're going back to the time machines in 1985. And we are going back to world class championship wrestling from February of 1985. And of course, it's in the infamous Dallas sportatorium arena well arena but sportatorium is not an arena it's still an armory but whatever the case may be but tw before we even talk about what we saw in this show you know we have to always do this the ambiance of the sportatorium and you can see in in 1985 because again we have to we have to merge a lot of things that happen and the reason i picked this was you know maybe about a month ago tw i saw the movie the von eric movie did you see the Von Eric movie yet? I have gonna, not I, seen it. My buddy wanted me to do it, and then he never brought it up again all of December or January. So I asked him the other day, we're going to probably try to see it soon, but I don't know when. Right. Well, you know, again, there was a lot of creative licensing in that movie, and they kind of like mishmash. I think I told you this. They mishmash like chronological history just to fit the movie, and certain things did not make sense. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We will do a a future PWR at the movies with the Von Eric. That'd be the most present movie we ever do. But I just thought I just thought it was apropos to do a world class championship wrestling episode. And from 1985, remember, it's a couple of months after David Von Eric passed away too soon. 
it will be maybe a couple of months. I forget the, the it's mostly in 86 where two tragedies happened. Mike Von Erich's uh, seizure and Kerry Von Erich's foot. He loses his foot because of a motorcycle accident. So again, the, the Von Erich curse has ebbs and flows from 84 to 86. But in, in, in the middle of it is 1985. And another thing that happens, I don't know if you want to call it a Von Erich curse, but we are in the last legs of the relationship between Fritz Von Erich being, I'm not, I'm not going to say a board member or so, but a member of the National Wrestling Alliance Syndicate Board of, you know, Board of Directors. Because remember, T.W., Texas was part of the NWA Syndicate, you know, of touring for Ric Flair to, like, go to Dallas. He goes to Florida. He goes to St. Louis and all that stuff. And Fritz Von Erich, you could see the frustration of Fritz Von Erich trying. Because technically, in this episode alone, and don't talk about who's the champions then, there's two titles. There's a Texas Heavyweight Championship, right, which coincidentally reflectionites, if I translate it, is either the U.S. Heavyweight title or the Intercontinental title. It's like the Work Horseman title. And, and the number one title in Texas is the American Heavyweight Champion. The NWA American Heavyweight Champion. That's the number one contender to the national to Ric Flair's title in 1985. But again, TW, we know logistically the U.S. top champion is the number one contender, no matter where the territories is. He's the number one contender, regardless. But you know that Fritz is very frustrated with his relationship with like the Crockett's and the Barnett's and everybody and, and the the Grams and stuff like that because he felt that his boys could take the NWA to the next level. So what say you about, you know, everything that's going on? I know I, I, I put a lot out there, but whatever you can, whatever I said, try to figure, you know, put, put it all together. Um, <laughs> a text just came through at the top of the screen. I'm not used to that happening when I do this podcasting. Uh, it's usually at the bottom and it's coming from the top because I got it turned anyway. That's just almost made me laugh. But, um, mm-hmm. So it's funny because that's that's one of the first things I thought about was like there's a Texas champ and a U.S. champ. And I thought the Texas heavyweight champion was their big belt. But then I thought, well, it can't be if there's a America's champion. Right. And so Mm -hmm. um, it makes me question something to you, because obviously uh, Fritz is no different than than Lawler would be their territory. and, And Fritz wants his guy to be the man. Jerry Mm -hmm. Lawler probably wanted him to be the man. Uh, Whoever, Vern, if he was part of it at one point, wanted his guy to be the man. So they're all going to want their guy to be the man. But where was Flair based out of? Was he based out of Carolinas and the Crockett's in general? So he was a Crockett guy. So he's mad at them for for doing what he wants to do anyway. They're using their guy. It's no different than him putting the belt on his kid because he can control it. Flair is the Crockett's kid at this point. He, they trust him. He's he's done good business. So, of course, he, he's going to be the guy. I don't like the formula, and I think a lot of wrestling fans in hindsight look back at it and go, how could I be so stupid to think wrestling was real when literally every year Ric Flair loses the belt to somebody and wins it back almost at the same exact time. I lose it here and win it back at Starcade. Lose it at Starcade, win it back at the bad, whatever. It was always the same window. Well, and, think about it, because in 84, he lost the belt to Kerry Von Erich at the Parade right. of Champions and then lo- and then regained it, not not like a couple of months later, three weeks later in right. Tokyo, Japan. So, you know, it is, it's apropos about what you talk about with the business sense and the trust, you know, being trustworthy 
for the NWA board to say Ric Flair can go to these towns, go to Tokyo, go to Puerto Rico, go to Mexico. They trust him to bring asses to seats. They trust him to bring the game. To show up. Order. Well, that, that too. So, you know. And, yeah. and I'll say this. There's not a bigger carry on Eric fan than me. None. Mm-hmm. Right there. I got another figure down there and another one on the way. But Kerry Von Eric, I think they let him win that belt because David was going to win it. They did it as a, a respect thing. And the reason they took it off him right away was because anybody you talk to about Kerry Von Eric was he was heavily medicated in the back always. So mm-hmm. he wasn't professional. Um, he, I went to high school with a guy. Uh, he was the youngest of the three Amin brothers, uh, Ralph Amin. And ironically, mm-hmm. he was the best of the three. And I would say between David, Kevin, and Carrie, um, Carrie's the best of them, like the blue chip, if you will, like the most natural. So the two older Amin brothers are in the ring of honor at U of M for wrestling there. And they went to my high school. They coach there mm-hmm. now. I don't know if they still do, but they did a few years after I graduated. And Ralph was the best of them all. But he didn't want to do it. He only did it because his dad made him basically do it. And he was always high. We we would hang out at Taco Bell. We called it Jocko Bell. All the all the athletes would hang out in the Taco Bell parking lot on Friday night, mm-hmm. Saturday night. And one time I remember I was in a car. I look over. And we didn't know each other well. He was two grades ahead of me. But we knew each other from wrestling as far as he at least recognized me and I, I obviously knew who he was. He was a popular guy. And I look over at him and he looks at me and it took everything he had to say hi. Cause he was so blown out on weed. If it was just weed. And now that I'm older, I get it. He hated every second of it. He was good at it. He did it out of, uh, expectation and i think oh, that's I what carrie did was. It, did he did he do it to appease his father just to yes, make sure yes. that yeah. and i think that's what carrie was do i think carrie enjoyed it yes do i think he loved it no i think he loved that shot putting i think he loved football i think he loved a lot of other things and wrestling was just it's the opposite of the rock carrie mm-hmm. probably could have gone somewhere with something else but chose to do wrestling because of his dad whereas the rock went to do something else and got hurt and ended up wrestling. And that's why I think the rock made the best of it because, you know, same thing with Goldberg, same thing, all these guys who wanted to be NFL players, but got hurt. Wrestling mm-hmm. was like a, a second chance at glory, if you will. Whereas Kerry, it was predestined. And right. I, don't, I just think he didn't like, I don't think he liked the pressure of it. So when flair wins the bell back in three weeks, instead of like Ronnie Garvin got it longer. Uh, I think it's because of a trusting. They were afraid that if they waited too long, Kerry's not giving it back because he's going to be whatever, you know, not around. Well, remember, again, logistically reflectionites and TW that 85 is technically like the last, let's just say the last legs of the territory agreement, if you will, for, for, for Ric Flair to go to Texas or Ric Flair to go to Florida and all that stuff before the Crockett's really put the stranglehold and kept that NWA title because – Basically, you know, Jim Crockett was buying most of the shares of the NWA, and there was really no other reason to keep having Ric Flair, you know, put asses in seats without, you know, he got a finder's fee, but it's not enough because he didn't get the whole game. He just got Ric Flair's money. And, you know, Rick, if Ric Flair got 10000 what would you as an agent, you get 10 percent of his 10000 That's not enough. You want you want to book Ric Flair yourself in the venue. You don't want to just rent Ric Flair out. Right. If you get right. the agent fee, 
you do the math, TW. I'd rather promote Ric Flair for my company and my and my venues and stadiums and arenas and all the all over the country and stuff like that. But that being said, again, this is a, a very uh, topsy-turvy time for world-class championship wrestling. Of course, TW, we always know that we don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, we find out, you know, after the fact. But when you look at it on TV, and, and again, we've said this, and I want you to harp on it again, the production. And again, we have to give kudos to Devon Eriks or Fritz himself because for what he did with the Sportatorium, again, it could probably hold 500, 1,000, maybe 1,500 when the Von Erics was really golden. The Freebirds against the Von Erics was golden and all that stuff. But it could only hold so much. That's why you had to go to the Reunion Arena. That's why you had to go to the Cotton Bowl. That's why you had to go to Texas Stadium, all that stuff. Today. So let's say about Fritz giving that ambiance with the Sportatorium itself, making it must-see. When I watch it, um, it reminds me of UWF and mm -hmm. it, it felt real. It felt like a sport. It didn't feel like, I mean, they did have some production stuff and whatever. And they kept saying they were the most, the only promotion watched around the world or whatever. But every time we've done a Von Eric show or a Von Eric, a world-class show, I thought there mm -hmm. were more people there than, so when you're sitting here saying 1500, I'm like, what? There's like 20,000 screaming chicks. What are you talking about? But they do such a good job of making what, what whatever building they use, they fill it, and uh -huh. and they do it right. They do the sportatorium, which is probably we're looking at on TV like it's the Silverdome, but the reality is it's probably the the local high school gym, but it just feels bigger. Well, right? Armory, it's it's an armory, yeah, so. an armory. And so then when you see, it's ironic you say Cotton Bowl because that was the next thing that played after this episode ended for me was the cotton bowl. And it came off like WrestleMania, like, like the guy singing mm -hmm. the national anthem. I shut it off. I didn't see which one it was, but, but they just, he was, it felt real, man. And another thing I want to say is, uh, Roy Mercer. Is that the name of the guy? Ron Mercer. Mm -hmm. Roy. We, we never brought him up when we did the best commentators and they didn't bring him up on, uh, the OVB podcast about best commentators. He's good in the fact that he does it alone, and you don't realize he's doing it alone until five, six minutes in. You're like, there's no one else, and and he doesn't fall asleep. He does. He sells it, and then I don't know about. Well, he might not fall asleep, but he makes you fall asleep. I mean, his, his voice. I, I know that, but I'm saying he's no, okay. engaged. He might be boring, but I'm saying yeah. he's so involved with it. I didn't even realize he was alone until probably the second match, and I'm like. There's no one else. Because I remember as a kid, <laughs> Gary Hart would be sitting there with him or somebody would Akbar would be sitting there with him. He always had mm -hmm. someone he would antagonize him, but it was just him. And then the ring announcer, Todd, Todd Llewellyn or whatever his name was. No, uh, Mark Lorenz. Mark Lorenz. He fucking mm -hmm. phoned it in every time. You're a new Texas champion. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. Why are you saying about you're mad that he won? Because that's that's what he was trying to do is like be upset that the heel mm -hmm. won, right? Yeah, right. still the champion. But he just sounded like he hated being there. <laughs> oh my god. Now now I won't get that out of my head because now I'm gonna have to watch another world class just to hear Mark Lorenz's nasal twang voice just to announce. And the way there is a stale chip <laughs> with no excitement and shit like that. But let's get to the show here, TW. And again, the, the first match is kind of like a recap, but it's kind of like the main 
event because they start the main event first. So why start, you know, why watch the whole rest of the show when it's really the main event here? But anyway, neither here nor there. It was for the America's Heavyweight Championship. Kerry Von Erich was defending the championship against gentleman Chris Adams, who was managed by Gary Hart. Again, the, you could call him, he's, would you say he's the Bobby Heenan of uh, world class or the Jimmy Hart? Because again, to me, Devastation Incorporated with uh, Skandar Akbar is the Bobby Heenan to me because that's yes. the number one. Yes. In my so then Gary Hart would be the Jimmy Hart, not, not because his last name is Hart, but in terms of stature, in terms of, you know, maybe champions, he can he could produce. He had a quality st a staff of, of, of dudes. I would too, say so. Gary Hart was more of a like luscious Johnny V, right? He, but now you're insulting him. I think he's no, Jimmy Hart. No, I think the number one guy was Heenan. The number two guy was Jimmy Hart. And sometimes you could flip that. No, no, I get that. But that's that's why I'm saying in world class, Skandar Akbar is Heenan. But is. Gary Hart is Jimmy Hart. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that they have a Jimmy Hart. If they do, it's Percy Pringle. You know, it's wow. Gary Hart was just consistent. And that's what Johnny V was. He was always with the same people. And he okay. basically... Was consistent. He was the same all the time. He, he, Jim, Johnny Valiant, even though he ended up being a puss in the end, he was a big enough guy that you thought he could get in there, and, and he did. He would wrestle in six mans with with Beefcake and Valentine, and then I think he managed somebody else, but I can't remember who it was. Was it was it Dino, Dino Bravo, Bravo for a minute? It was Dino mm -hmm. Bravo, yeah. Yeah. And then and then he went to Jimmy Hart or Frenchie Martin or whatever. But but Gary Hart was intimidating on his own. Heenan and Jimmy Hart, nobody was afraid of those guys, right? And mm -hmm. But Gary Hart almost came across almost like a DDP before he wrestled when he had the diamond exchange. Like, like he could handle himself, too, if he needed to. But he had these badasses, so he didn't have to. But I wouldn't right. say, like, even personality-wise, he was more of a Paul Ellering than a, than a wise-ass. He was, a, like, right. strategic guy. Yeah. I, I get you. I'm just I'm looking at it from a stature but standpoint. But Akbar's public enemy number one, which is Heenan, which is Jim yeah. Cornette or J.J. Dillon. Actually, well, like I would I say said, he's like a J.J. Dillon. Cornette was your main like heat seeker. J.J. was the guy you just thought was somebody that was a lawyer that came out and talked for them. And that's what I think oh. Gary Hart was, was like a okay. representative rather than a manager. Okay. I, again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just, I just look at it from a standpoint of like the Heat and Jimmy Hart. I thought he was maybe right. number two, but then, you know, the Percy Pringle factor. Yeah, you're right. So someone's got to be Fuji. So, you know, either, right. well, <laughs> I guess maybe Gary Hart's Fuji. I don't know. I'm just saying because he did manage the great Kabuki and the Super Ninja. So again, Gary Hart is Mr. Fuji in world class. But with that being said, you know, TW, one thing that, you know, the Von Erichs, the, the good part of the, well, maybe the bad part of the Von Erics is there wasn't a lot of antagonizers because for the Von Erics, the best ones were the Freebirds, but you couldn't ha fight them every week for, th you know, 52 weeks out of the year, 365 days out of the year and all that stuff because it would get monotonous and boring. And it did because as the years waned, the magic was gone. So Fritz had no choice but to create new antagonizers. and Gentleman Chris Adams, who had the super kick, very agile, but also gave the appearance of an international superstar because he's from Great Britain and all that stuff. But they try to make him an antagonizer. And again, you know, one of the the one of the best world class fuses himself and Kevin Von Erich. But 
Chris Adams and Gino Hernandez did fight Kerry and Kevin for the tag team titles. But again, that's logistics. But they were trying to make new antagonizers for the Von Erickson. I kind of, you know, I get why they did it for Gino because Gino had, and we'll talk about him later. Gino had it. He had the it fact. He had the charisma to be an asshole. But a lot of people have said this, and I'm not saying anything disrespectful to you of you. Chris Adams, he was forcing himself to be a bat, to be an asshole, and he it was not in his nature. He was a good guy. He was steamboat. He was gentleman, Chris Adams. That too, and he was you my know you could put, at one point, dude. He was he no, was no, class. I'm, I'm, he was but, class. Right, he was classy and all that. He was the class gentleman and all that stuff. You can put him with Gary Hart. And Gary Hart can give you all that heat, but for for but for the fan, for the consumer TW, I don't think they believed it. I don't think they grasped it. So let's say about Chris Adams, he, gentlemen, Chris Adams. In 1985, Chris Adams is the personification of white meat babyface. He was what all those girls wanted to cheer for. He was a good-looking guy. He was in shape, um, mm-hmm. and he. He, he had a look of a guy who saw the inside of a gym but didn't live in it. And then Gino Hernandez, what he had going for him was that last name. So it's a lot easier to hate people back then because they were Hispanic or black or whatever. They're like Iceman Parsons got good heat down there. But he was also a guy that they loved one minute and hated the next. But Chris Adams, it just always felt, like you said, forced. He didn't, he didn't look comfortable as a bad guy. Like mm-hmm. like Rick Martel in the beginning as the model didn't, but grew right. into it. Chris mm-hmm. Adams never grew into it. He always just looked like the guy that would help an old lady cross the street and the British but, accent. Right. But before we get into the match itself, TW, you've always said it's easier to be the bad guy because you can get the heat and, you know, you, you can be an asshole and it's just more natural. And then the people will love you and all that stuff. Why do you think it was hard for Chris Adams to do something that's, like you said, so easy that most pe- most wrestlers would love to do. They'd rather be the bad guy. Because I'll tell you why. You got to have it in you. We all want to be an asshole. Chris Adams didn't. That's the bottom line. Like, oh, okay. I, I, to me, it was venting. Like everything I hated about my day job or everything mm-hmm. I hated about the weather outside, how long it took me to get to that town. It was funny to me to just bury people in the audience, right? And it was. But the problem is, if they already like you, they're not going to boo you. They're, they're just not. And mm-hmm. l- look at how many people in wrestling today where they try to turn heel and it just doesn't work because they end up, you know, I don't want to pick on AEW, but there's guys there that are good guy one week, bad guy the next, and then back to a good guy a week later because the fans just don't buy it. Like, they, they like you. It's a different day and age than back then. But – and, and the other thing about world class is – you just said they got sick of the Freebirds. There's a chance they got sick of the Dan Von Erics because they were always the heel or baby faces. Um, almost everybody in the matches um, with them with feuds were their friend first. Gino turned on them. Chris Adams turned on them. Brian Adias is on the show. He turned on them. Uh, everyone, the Freebirds turned on them. Like everybody mm-hmm. turned on the Dan Von Erics. So, like you were saying about Hogan, at some point, maybe the audience is like, eh, they're the common denominator. Maybe they're the asshole, and the other guys just got sick of them. But mm-hmm. Chris Adams is just, he's such a likable guy. And that British accent to this day, when you hear women talk about Hugh Grant or, or the other. Clive, whatever, Clive Owen. Here's Brosnan. 
Pierce Brosnan. They, he, he reminds me of Pierce Brosnan. He's mm-hmm. Remington Steele at that time. Chris Adams, when I was a kid, I was like, that's Remington Steele. Um, he just, he's just someone you want to cheer for, so you can't boo him. I think Brian, Daniel Bryan was a guy where they turned him heel and he ended up babyface again because it's too late. They love you once you are adored by them. Like it's it's probably a good thing Ricky Steamboat never turned heel because he's so likable it wouldn't last long. The the people would end up just cheering him anyway. Again, you and I can see it that it just felt forced and maybe he just didn't relish it. it it's it's an easy thing. It's it's an easy gimmick to be the asshole. I mean, but I guess like if you, you have said, it in you. if you have it in you, but oh, but of course I think it's like the. I don't want to say the Bret Hart syndrome or the hero syndrome, but if you feel like you could be the hero, if you want to, you know, influence the kids in a positive direction, you feel like I have the platform to do that. Maybe he, yeah, I have the platform to do it and I want to do it. I want to make sure the kids go in the right direction and all that stuff. So, you know, it is what it is. So what say you about this match for the America's heavyweight champion, which with outside help from Gary Hart with the, it was funny. The, the ending was funny to me because you remember how we could always say the DDT was very uh, devastating that you go down quickly. This match actually proved that broke a myth, debunked a myth because the super kick. You did it once. It was done. Chris Adams did it twice. He kicked him out of the ring, but then Kerry no sold it. It took a boot and then another super kick. So he did it twice. So I'm, I'm again. I'm not nitpicking TW. I'm just, but for the the Mark Tards right now that will, you know. And sometimes I say to myself, it takes about four super kicks. It takes about three uh, Canadian destroyers. It takes three DDTs to get the win. Now it took two super kicks. So that says something. And right a boot there. to but, the head. And a boot to the head to get to defeat Kerry Von Erich and become the new America's heavyweight champion. So let's say about the match overall. It's to it's to protect Kerry. It's to get heat on Chris Adams. I think the big big thing that's not giving him heat is Gary Hart looks like someone's nice uncle with his little balding haircut. He he didn't shave his head yet, and that's mm-hmm. bald Gary Hart is the guy you're afraid of. This guy looks like the dad you on throwing he, family ties. No, you said he looked like an accountant. He looked like yeah. the bad. He uh, looked exactly. like an accountant. Yeah, lawyer. Yeah, yeah. some. Yeah. So he needed. But Kerry, to be bald. Kerry took a nice bump. The hardest, the hardest part for this whole match for me was, is seeing Kerry with two boots, like two regular boots, and a couple times he's squatting back on his leg, and I'm like, man, if he'd have did that on the other one, it would have broke, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can't see, I can't look at Kerry and not look at that damn leg, and so to see it without the tassels and see it normal, it was distracting. But I tell you this, uh, this is, I say it every time we watch some old shit, and it's not mm-hmm. just this match; it's definitely the Midnight Express match. Um, mm-hmm. I think Gino Hernandez's match, not not your favorite wrestler, Buck Zumov's. These matches are too long. They're way too long. And and I said that it's it's a combination of oh, this is an hour show, span. GW. This is an hour show. Four matches, fifteen minutes each. I get it. What's wrong but with that? Today's today's fan is not sitting there. That's why every time someone does an Iron Man match, I'm like, yeah, this is getting a boring chant. And some of them pull it off. They had to shrink it to mm-hmm. a half hour Iron Man match, but um. The longer a match goes on, um, most of the guys in today's business could not hold the audience. Guys back then could, but these matches, there's something about that Texas audience that just, they are all in, all match. And it Mm -hmm. works. It wouldn't work now. 
Yeah, I guess it would. So, you know, with that being said, with this match, again, we got a new America's heavyweight champion, which coincidentally looks like a television champion, which was worn by the greatest. Or Hulk Hogan's that AW or that world title in 85 yeah. Hogan had. But it, but it's still it's still the TV title. You know that. It's all right. it's all about Arn Anderson's TV title, no matter what. Totally, but anyway, totally. no, it's Arn. But anyway, neither here nor there. So, you know, it was a good main event to start off the the program it started out hot uh, you, you can't start off a program hot hotter than having the number one title in uh world class to start off the show that's just my humble opinion so the next match within this hour long show is not my favorite wrestler it's tw's favorite wrestler rock and roll buck sumoff against the one man get <laughs> who was also managed by gary hart so again the Mr. terrible Fugia- gear the, uh, that's all you got out of it? Terrible gear. I'm Dude, just he he his UWF look is iconic. When he first got to WWE, is iconic. Akeem is is hilarious, but it was dumb. Mm-hmm. But it was it was hilarious. Okay. But um, yeah, that one man gang look with the denim jacket, vest over the T-shirt with the skull and crossbones, his mohawk and. And and then his tattoos on Maybe, the side of his head. Remember, just, well, wait, wait, wait. To be fair here. To be fair. He was he was honing the one man gang look because again, if you want to be fair, because in the early eighties, if I'm not mistaken, reflection nice, people could correct me, but I am the professor, so I'm ninety percent sure about this TW. He had flowing long hair. He looked like a so like Norman the lunar. Yeah, him too. He had long flowing mullet hair and he had a singlet. So he did not he did not uh, perfect his look. So right then and there in 1985, he found something. He, you know, shaved half of his head off and all that stuff. He didn't perfect his mohawk just yet until the UWF days. He got the denim jacket. He had to change his look because to be a fat guy with a mullet and a singlet, he wasn't going to separate from the bunch. He was a he was a 400 pound. Yeah, he was a 400 pound dude, but he just didn't have no look. So with this, this is a starting point. I, I agree, you know, it wasn't perfected yet, but why do I need to perfect my look when I'm facing rock a rock and roll Buck Sumoff? shirt underneath it, like Sergeant Slaughter used to wear. It was horrible. That too, but why am I going to perfect my look against rock and roll Buck Sumoff, the pedophile? So, you know, again, and rock and roll Buck Sumoff, like you said eloquently for many episodes, rock and roll Buck Sumoff is the man of of the hour in AWA, but goes to a different territory and turns into the jobber like he did yeah. in WWF. Like he here, like here he did for, <clears throat> excuse me, world-class championship run. It was a squash match, no matter what. And you know why rock and roll was a, was a, was a jobber here? He didn't bring his radio. I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> I mean, Ron Mercer was talking about they where said the, he had it. Oh, I said, didn't where see was it? it. I heard him talk yeah. about the radio. They talked about it, but he just looked like he just the went man down with the, the ring box or whatever they said. In AWA, Rock and Roll Bugs Zumoff flourished because they allowed him to bring the boombox down. They allowed him to play that god awful Rock and Roll Beach Boy music. But in World Class, it just looked like okay, he's just there. Do you remember a boombox? Right. Do you remember WWF him having the boombox? I don't remember. Hell I just no. remember. him and Brad right. Rangans were already already in the ring. Brad Rangans already in the Bucks ring. Zumoff. So that. That just showed you that this was not a main event. So with that being said, T- right. TW, 
Of course, it's a squash match. Of course, he's going to win with the 747 splash. So what say you about, again, I guess it's more about the look about one-man game. We're more, we're more into the look of one-man game because, again, he hasn't perfected it yet. But he knows he's like, I'm getting, to me, it's like this. I'm getting closer with the look. I just have to perfect it. The Mohawk wasn't just there yet. The denim jacket, I wasn't a fan of the denim jacket, and I'm not a fan of the chain. So what's the ETW about this match, or maybe the look I just of think the one he, he had, Well, he squashed him, and then after he squashed him and he got announced a winner, he beat him up some more. It was like straight jobber, right? And the funny thing is, I didn't even, I thought, it didn't dawn on me that it was world class, and I thought he had the boombox. I saw him pointing at everything, and, and and Mercer was talking about him like he was something, but he, he absolutely got squashed, and... And and Mercer even made excuses for it, like, well, he's he's getting manhandled because he's about two to three times the size of him, blah 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 blah. But and then he beat him up after, and it almost came across as on purpose, like not part of the show. Like he was like, "Fuck you, buddy!" Like like he was mad at Buck for doing something in there. Maybe he was saw him by some kids or something. I don't know. Took it out on him. Yeah. So it, again, it is what it is, and and of course. Another thing, the the aspect of a, about one man gang reflection was that he was managed by Gary Hart. So Gary Hart had a stable. So he was Mr. Fuji, you know, to I guess now TW's convinced me that he wasn't Jimmy Hart. He was Mr. Fuji because, again, like I said, he he managed the great Kabuki and he managed the Super Ninja. And now he has all these people. So with that being said, we'll go into again. You know, another singles match and technically another squash match, TW, but again, it doesn't really matter. But it was the. Texas heavyweight champion, or I don't know if the angle was he wasn't the real Texas champion because he kept saying, I'm your Texas champion. So it felt like to me that he wasn't the Texas champion, but he had his own belt. And that just proves to me he he, he is untapped potential that he could have been a main eventer in WWF. They, he no, no he, he was the Texas champ because Ray Mercer says, oh, yeah, like he said, he's your. He was basically claiming to be the people's champion is what he was. Oh, OK. Doing. I, I thought he was. But as a heel. He, Right. But with that being said, TW, this man is full of untapped potential. This man, well, let's add, it's Gino Hernandez against Mark Marin. And that, again, it just doesn't matter because it didn't, he won the match. But let's just talk about Gino Hernandez here. It, it more of a what if scenario, TW. You know, with all the charisma, the it factor, and all that stuff, technically, Gino Hernandez reminded me about. You know, supposedly your greatest t- TV champion. He reminds me of Tully Blanchard, even though they kind of like intersected with each other in the Texas organizations. In uh, Tully Blanchard's uh, dad's promotion, they actually, I don't know, were tag team partners or they were rivals against each other, but neither here nor there. But what say ETW about the potential of Gino Hernandez? Do you think he could have made it in the WWF? Do you think he could have made it in the NWA? What say you? He was absolutely NWA stuff. He had a NWA written all up. And, and when I say, well, technically, when I say that, I'm I'm talking about Crockett's NWA because we yeah. know that was the, no, the number one. Moved NWA. up from world class. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a call up. Uh, I right. think there was actually rumblings of him being the next Ric Flair, or at least associated with the Horsemen, and 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 he died. But he, and that's what I think they were doing with. Uh, Chris Adams, too, they were trying, like you said, it's on the ass end of this whole agreement with the Crockett's. They were trying to build their own Ric Flair's, and that's what they always try to make Gino come across as, was, because to me, I, I said a million times, Tully is Ric Flair-esque, and, and, mm-hmm. 
and he was the mid Atlantic champion or whatever that other belt was. And then he was the TV champ, the greatest of all time. And then he was a U.S. champ. He had all them belts. It was to keep him to stop going after Ric Flair. That was that was his pacifier, if you will. And then they left. So I think that would have been the perfect time once Tully and Arn left to bring in Gino and Chris Adams to be with Flair and Luger or whoever the other horseman was when I can't remember. Was it Wyndham? It was Wyndham. Yeah. When they left Mm -hmm. to go to WWE, but Gino had so much potential and I think it wasn't going to be on tap. They were going to tap it, but he died and a lot of dead guys in this episode, three of them so far. Yes, of course, you know that T.W. is the gatekeeper. He keeps a list. I think so Gary Hart's dead, too. Yes, he is. I, I know that much. He, he that, But he, he lived a full life. So, right. you know, in comparison to Gino Hernandez, who, you know, when you live fast and die young, T.W., it, it, you know, again, it's another example of the of the state of world class. Because, again, with the Von Eric deaths and you had the Gino Hernandez death like that, it, you lose your top stars so soon so it it, it affects the business the, the bottom line in, in a bad way because you want to see these guys you know every week on your tv in dallas texas and then when they die abruptly you know we, we could say next man up tw but how do you replace a david von eric they couldn't do it how do you replace a gino hernandez you couldn't really do it so you know what they try to do because like von eric they kept saying He's a spitting image of his older brother David. I'm like, the fuck he is. Like, what? What he's what? He's not even he's like the size of his leg. Like, like carries mm-hmm. your Adonis, right? But again, mm-hmm. you can't trust him. And Kevin is the one that just gets the shaft. Like they're just right. bypassing him to go right to carry or Mike. It's like he's the most professional. He, he's the most he's the most professional robot out of the yep. bunch. Yeah, but mm-hmm. with no boots. That's his problem. And one more thing about rock and roll buck Zumha. Yeah, nobody oh, should be surprised about what we found out about that guy because that some yeah. bitch wrestled with no knee pads and looked like a perverted uncle that snuck in the room of a slumber party. He just there's no good in wrestlers that don't wear knee pads. None. I swear, I think I saw Buck Sumoff on a to catch a predator with Chris Hansen, but again, that neither hit. Neither Was hit, it hit, hit your house? Hell no! <laughs> what the hell? No, no, don't implicate me with Buck Zuma. No, no, no. <laughs> They're eighteen and over. But anyway, neither here nor that. But let's go on to the ending of the show. That you know, you could call it the main event, but I, I don't feel it's the same way like Kerry Von Erich, Chris Adams. But it was a tag team contest with the American tag team champions, the Midnight Express, managed by Jim Cornette and and TW. We have to remember this, Jim Cornette was in the in the Dallas territories not only to become the America's tag team champions, but they were also going to be going after the Von Erics, who were the current trios tag team champions. And of course, Mama Cornette, you know, was spending money for the top Texas, uh, you know, you could say villain. I think they who did they get? They got was it Matt Bourne or Buzz Sawyer? But neither here nor there. But they were recruiting a third member for the Midnight Express to chase the carry to chase the the von erics for the trios championship but rip oliver the, oh rip oliver oh he's a rip oliver guy you know no no disrespect vet but you know i forgot i thought it was Buzz <laughs> sawyer but it's rip oliver but yeah this match there was a, there was a back there was a backstory it was the midnight express and the american tag team champions it was a non-title match but they were going up against mike von eric and brian adidas 
But the story, TW, was about Jim Cornette and Sunshine. I don't remember Sunshine having anything to do with the Von Erics. I think she was more on Brian Adidas's jock, but that's just me. But Sunshine was was the good valet. You know, Precious was the bad valet. Sunshine was, you know, the Texas sweetheart good valet. And of course, you know, the 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 valet and Jim Cornette thing kind of manifested in 1986 with Baby Doll, Jezebel, and Jim Cornette. So kind of like they they spun the wheel. Well, the Crockett's respun that way because it was successful because Jim Cornette has that face. He has that face of, of the nerd that can't get the girl, but also will insult the girls. So what say you about the whole pa- the whole package of this match? Other than their gear and the Midnight Express looking like already <laughs> in the ring, guys, Cornette was good. Like, I don't think... Yeah, obviously, the modern-day wrestling fan hates him because they don't like his takes. And that guy and I probably disagree on everything outside of wrestling but mm-hmm. in wrestling i don't I, I there is some times where you know these young wrestling fans who are 35 in their mom's basement they ain't young um where they mm-hmm. say he's oh you don't want to let go of your grandpa's wrestling there are times when he comes across that way but when when you're watching it as a kid you're so focused on not liking what he's saying that you mm-hmm. don't realize how good Jim Cornette was on a microphone. And proof in the pudding, until Stan Lane, do you remember a fucking word Bobby Eaton or Dennis Condry ever said? No, because they never yeah. said shit. It was always no. Cornette. Bubba Rogers, when they finally let him talk, you're like, okay, fucking, I, I see why Jim Cornette's with him. And then Jim Cornette would do the talking. Like, he just sounded excited mm-hmm. and talked in circles. He He's the Bobby Heenan of of there if if it's not akbar in the fact that a you want to beat the shit out of him and b but you could he, he he couldn't be the bobby heaton because he was going from from texas right. to bill right. watts territory he's, he's and then eventually salesman yeah he, yeah he, he's rick he's the he's the free agent he's the guy that you know but he was working the territories to get to carolina to get to the to the crockett land and then get all that kind of money so you know he technically the midnight express they paid their dues I yeah. understand that you talk about the gear not matching, and I know you're a stickler for that, but they were paying their dues in the Watts territory in Texas. And, of course, you know, in Watts territory, they had the Rock and Roll Express. In Texas, they had the Fantastic. And, of course, in the Crockett's, you had both the Fantastic and the Rock and Roll Express. But in this match, Reflectionites, again, this is against Mike Von Erich and Brian Adidas. And Adidas. Adidas, so whatever. But I don't care. But... The the ending is really not a not it doesn't matter about Brian Adias and Mike Von Eric because the move that they did was very horrible. It was the spot between Sunshine and Jim Cornette because Sunshine saved Mike Von Eric from the tennis racket shot with the slap. That was a hard slap for Jim Cornette because he sold it like he sold it like gold. But the move, but the but the tag team move felt sort of like you talk about like no synergy. Mike Von Eric and Brian Adias. Is not strike force. I was they, stunned even... when they won. Just absolutely stunned. I should have not been because they said non-title, and they were pushing Mike like he's the second coming of David. But I was stunned because mm-hmm. they Why both stunned? Like it's two a Von, guys already in the ring. They're a Von Eric. It's a Von Eric in the ring. So you got to get right. the win. They only let you. They only lose when the title's on the line or they can't get the titles. But what say you about this match overall? It's fucking too long. It's long <laughs> as shit. Bobby Eaton looks like well, this was. His this grandma's was the last girdle over the top of his mom's dress 
And mm-hmm. then Dennis Condry looks like he thinks he's the Flash. And by the way, the only guy in the 80s who made Ole Anderson not look 100 was Dennis Condry. He, he looked 190 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he's still going, he outlived Bobby Eaton. Old motherfucker. But yeah. uh but yeah, they just they did not look good. Bobby Eaton didn't look good. There was a referee that I thought was Tom Pritchard, because I do remember Tom Pritchard refing for them, but it ended up not being him. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that was in the Geno match. But uh it was an okay match and the the crowd was in it from start to finish. They popped for the finish. Um but man, it was long. Oh, so long. And well, precious is not pretty. Well that's sunshine. That wasn't precious. Whatever the fuck. Precious is pretty. Sunshine's not pretty. But again, with the ambiance of the sportatorium and the excitement of the Texas fans, this was technically a great hour of wrestling reflection. Even though the TW, you know, we all nitpick because, again, we're watching this in hindsight and we're watching this like, God damn, what did they do? Again, I nitpick because they made the young stallions look like a... Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchett because Mike Von Eric and Brian DeDias did not have any First of all, motherfucker, the Young Stallions are good. I don't know why you would even... I'm giving them credit. I'm giving them credit. They're not jobbers. And then they made a tag team. I was in heaven when they made the Young Stallions a tag team. I'm just saying that this team of Adias and and Mike Von Eric don't even match the Young Stallions. I'm giving them all the credit in the world. To be fair, neither did the Midnight Express. They look like a couple well, job guys thrown in there, too. But again, they were paying their dues and they, you knew they weren't going to be there long, but they had a track record. They had they had a resume being, you know, like I said, Bill Watts territory. They were the Mid-South Tag Team Champions to be in Texas and already the American Tag Team Champions. It says something. And of course, they go to the Crockett's and they become, you know, what they are. And of course, Stan Lane, you know, you've already said it. Stan Lane is the makes it the better Midnight Express, not Dennis Conjure, because I think yeah. Stan Lee was into the look itself, too. I think Stan Lee... I don't think people give Stan Lee a lot. He had charisma. Well, that, too. I'm just saying, I think Stan Lee put, put a lot more emphasis on the overall look of the Midnight Express more than uh, Dennis Condry. I think Dennis Condry said, fuck it. I don't give a damn. You know, let uh, Bobby wear what he wants. If he's comfortable, I'm comfortable. I don't give a fuck. So, again, you could... I've, we've seen Texas uh, Midnight Express. We've seen Bill Watts Midnight Express. They didn't have the same kind of, you know, emphasis on their Star look. power. Well, that too. Like Stan Lane makes, because again, Stan Lane was a fabulous one. He knew about the marketing uh, ability. He knew about brand awareness and all that stuff. And with that being said, we close on this episodic episode. Episode number 181, World Class Championship Wrestling from February of 1985. And what we're going to do next time, I don't know, We maybe next week, maybe in two weeks, because the professor has to do something, you know, real life situations. You know, I have to venture, I have to edify, but, you know, you already know that the professor does something in real life. But maybe in a week or two, who knows? You know, it's time to settle this, TW. It's time to settle this, no matter what. I'm a, you keep like digging me and I dig you back even though I dig the truth but we know who the greatest television champion of all time is and that man's name is Double A Arn Anderson so we have to sell this we must do a PWR debate special it's not about who wins we're not talking about who's gonna have all the votes and all that stuff you know the Reflectionites you know, they, they might love TW more than the professor or the, they might love the professor more than TW. But we're going to get, we're going to iron this out. It's going to be a PWR special. Who is 
the greatest television champion of all time is either Arn Anderson or Tully Blanchard. What, what say ETW about that idea? A, a debate special. We might do more debates, but we know that this debate has got to be set up. It has to be set up. And it's, it's, you know, you have to come around and someday you will. And Bobby Eaton's going to be a part of this discussion. There's going to be a lot of people that we talked about today that are going to be part of this discussion. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you are going to say, you know what, TW? You're right. I concede Tully is the greatest world television champion of all times. Hell no. You're going to concede to the professor saying that Arn Anderson is the greatest television champion of all time. That it was made for him. He, just, he had more designs than Tully Blanchard ever with the belt. But again, Tully only needed it. one. That one. The red one. I'm the greatest, just, the second prettiest belt of all times. All I'm saying, TW, is we're going to settle this. A debate special. I don't know if this is going to be a running theme because maybe we'll, we'll think of greatest heavyweight champions, maybe greatest intercontinental champions. But this debate must be settled. I have Tully Blanchard, what's that? Greatest chase for a belt. Well, that's a different debate for another day. Yeah. But anyway, we're gonna do another. We're gonna do the PWR Spotlight debate special between me and TW, the greatest television champion of all time. It's either Arn Anderson, me, or Tully Blanchard. No way. Me. But anyway, <laughs> TW, give out those socials so we can get out of here. Alrighty. So we're not doing the first one. Nope. All right, so you can find us at Hameen Media Group at podbean.com or HMG at channelattitude.com. Our, uh, our podcast is represented on X at PW Reflection. Um, you can find Big Ray Hernandez everywhere on social media at Big Ray Hernandez. It's that simple, at Big Ray Hernandez. And every Wednesday, he's on the Next Level Podcast live, I believe at 11 a.m., um, also, you can find me on X and Instagram at TommyWonder19. Snapchat is NumberWonder, Facebook.com backslash TommyWonder, and then at the TommyWonder is my TikTok and my other X. Uh, and then Big Vito Brand, you can find at Big Vito Brand on TikTok. Um, you can find v Big Vito and Noel, see what they're up to. The Dum Dum Duel and an Idiot is on YouTube. I, I know I keep saying it's coming, but it's coming. Um, mm -hmm. And you can watch the early release reflection video at Big Ray Hernandez on X. And if this gets uploaded by A Track Brown, if we're on, we're not on strike anymore. We'll be on the U, on the PWS or YouTube networks. Follow my brothers in arms, B, Billy Ray Valentine at Ob One. You know me, and of course the King of the Reactions at A Track Brown, the number eight T R A C Brown. And of course follow my excerpt at PWS or PRF. That's PWS or Prof. And again, I don't know if it's going to be in a week or in two weeks. Maybe I have to dig, you know, go into the labs and get some notes about Arn Anderson. But we're going to do the PWR Spotlight debate special who is the greatest television champion of all time we already know the answer that's Arn anderson and tw thinks he knows the answer and that's Tully Blanchard. with that being said i'm the professor that's mr wwa it's on the iron stomach one mr wonderful dr frickenstein himself tommy one is saying good night and we'll see you next time here at the pwr podcast at the homie media group at podbean.com boom shakalaka <laughs>